0: Thank you for joining me. Um, I am speaking to Claire, otherwise known as My Frugal Year. Hello, hi. Um, So thank you for finding the time to chat and to record with me. Um, And I thought, well, for people that perhaps haven't heard of My Frugal Year or aren't familiar with you, would you be able to introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. So um, I am Claire. I set up My Frugal Year um, anonymously actually last March and it was um, it was sort of a bit of an impulse decision. I got to a point where it's really at a, a breaking point with my relationship with money and, um, you know, we were had managed to accrue quite a lot of debt and I didn't really know how best to deal with it and it's it was quite overwhelming and at the setting up the account was sort of like a way for me to try and keep myself hold myself to account really um, and to document um, my progress and you know it's something that I think like a lot of people, we tried to sort out in the past, but never really gained any traction with it. So I think it was um, it it just felt it felt quite poetic as well because I think there's a big comparison culture on Instagram, which I had definitely bought into, um, you know, both figuratively and literally. Um, and it felt quite poetic to try and use that as a tool to sort of turn things around. So. Um it 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 sort of came from that. I mean, I never really intended for it to be, become what it has now, which is much more of a a community for sort of sharing thoughts around money and debt. It hopefully in like a judgment free zone. Um and you know, the conversations I've had, is the whole thing's been sort of life-changing really. Yeah, I can see that. I've been following you, I think, for almost, like, well, for quite a long time, well yeah. into, probably from last spring or even summer, um, yeah. and I've watched the sort of traction of your account grow, and obviously, we, we, I was going to jump to this at the end, but obviously you've now just had a book come out, which is why you've um, let go of your an, 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 an anonymity, <laughs> <laughs> why you've come out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah I mean I think the uh, the book has been amazing and it happened so quickly but I I feel like there's something quite powerful about having um having written the book while still going through it and while still dealing with a lot of the emotions that come along with financial difficulty and and working that out because I think as as inspirational as it can be to read the account someone who's been through it um or someone who just is an expert um it can be a bit intimidating and I I think I, I feel like actually human beings forget pain quite quickly um and I didn't want to sit down in a couple of years time when the debt was all paid off to write this and find that I'd sort of completely lost access to those emotions and those feelings because I think that's part of what has resonated so much about the account is that you know there are certain feelings that you have when you're going through financial difficulty that that are quite unique um and yeah it it, it, it's been amazing and um it doesn't really feel like it's really happening I don't know if it's you know lockdown or um whatever it all feels a little bit bizarre but yeah the book's out on the 14th of May um and I'm really looking forward to seeing what everybody thinks because so far very few people have actually read it so um it will be great to to see what people think and I really hope that it's helpful for some people I think it's come at... um, Obviously, we are recording this, I think we're in week six now of lockdown because of the coronavirus. So the um, financial and economic sort of um, tidal wave that I feel is going to come out Mm. of this period, your book's probably actually going to hit the world at a time when it's going to speak and resonate to so many more people. I really... I really hope that the message does get to the to the right people, because I think you're right. I think there are going to be a lot of people who find themselves suddenly plunged into real financial uncertainty. And already I've heard from quite a lot of people that they um, are are sort of beating themselves up about not having had that like rainy day fund or not having been financially prepared for this, which while I can completely understand that because this time a year ago that would have uh, absolutely been me, um, I think that actually that, that logically it doesn't make very much sense because none of us in the public saw this coming. Um, and it's not a typical rainy day. you know it's a global pandemic that might lead to a huge or probably will lead to a huge economic change so I think you know what I would really like for anyone reading the book to get from it especially if if that's been the case and things have changed because of coronavirus is sort of a sense that um, actually you know that there is money is difficult and there is no shame in finding it difficult and that you know there is there's a way through financial difficulty to sort of place of control and peace and need neutrality so I think um what I hope it will do is kind of equip people to deal with that a bit better and stop people descending into that sort of swamp of shame um that so many people find themselves in um, when things get tricky financially, um you know, certainly that was my experience. so, um before you started my frugal year, before you started the account, you had accrued debt. <laughs> yeah, um how how did you I mean, I think i think I mean, everyone I know has debt to some mm. extent. um and actually, we've we've had a lot of ups and downs financially in our my little family unit over the past sort of six to eight months or maybe actually probably longer but really kind of come to light and I think that's when I really started your account just really started speaking to me because a lot of what you speak about on there is about the feeling and that that can then inform how you respond to the to the debt or the money you know but it really stems from your your emotional response and I was feeling um loads of shame and and loads of judgment on myself Um, how did you what did your life look like before you started the account so I think in terms of kind of in terms of finance it was very much sort of like no control very much head in the sand um sort of like bl- you know doing the thing where you sort of hand over your card and blindly hope that this the, the transaction is going to go through not really having an awareness of where things were going wrong um and sort of having this sense that you know that breaking point was coming but trying to hold it off for as long as possible, so there was a lot of juggling. Um, and I think something that's important to note is that you know I think an assumption sometimes within society is that if you ha- if you've accrued a lot of debt, you know, like we had um, at, at its maximum it was over twenty seven thousand pounds, split across a few credit cards and an overdraft. But I think the perception is that, you know, there must have been a lot of designer handbags and flash cars involved when actually all it takes is all, all we really did was, um, you know, have normal life milestones and live a bit beyond our means month after month, um, which I think is like a really important um message to get across because I think where there's it like internal shame about it I think there is judgment out there in society predominantly from people who've never experienced financial difficulty um and an assumption that it must mean that you're like very frivolous or you're very responsible um and that those are things that I've definitely had definitely kind of internalized um but now I sort of see that you know it it was a combination of, you know, my character, which is probably a little bit less meticulous than some. Um, and our circumstances, you know, we had uh, we had our eldest son when we were still really quite young and not earning very much. um and also, mindset you know just not being really aware of what was going on so it was stressful um before and you know there was not very we didn't really talk about money openly um my me and my husband um and it it was yeah it was a bit of a black cloud over everything um but now things are very different and do you find did you find that having um and um, sort of a, a public platform changed your relationship with those feelings, with that cloud? Was it almost a relief to be able to air it? Oh, absolutely. And I think the the gift of anonymity to start with was that authentic online for the first time ever because I wasn't scared about you know my colleagues judging me or or, you know friends finding out things that I didn't want them to know or whatever and I you know I still was very holding all of this very close to my chest at the point when I made the Instagram page and speaking out and hearing other people's experiences and I think actually it was you know when I when the account first started to gain traction I received hundreds and hundreds of messages from people saying oh my god I thought it was only me I thought it was just me that was in this situation I you know I've been feeling this I've been feeling that and you've just described everything that I've been feeling about myself um and you know it's amazing if people take comfort or reassurance from my account but i get so much of that from it myself um you know it, it it felt like going from being completely alone and you know alone in that anxiety to realizing that actually maybe it's not it wasn't just me that was uniquely stupid maybe it is a problem that is in society and that actually so many of us are just doing our best um Mm. and muddling through. Um so yeah it really helped and it started to really lift those feelings of shame. And I think then because I was show I I was wanting to show compassion and empathy to the people who were writing to me, automatically I started to show a bit more of that to myself as well um so it's been very cathartic very healing and and writing the book was the same um you know it's been real like therapy almost for me um but that in turn helps in a really practical way because once you can get rid of some of that shame and be more open you can do things like speak to your bank see what options are available to you you can speak to family you know you can make sure that friends know that you can't necessarily afford to do things all the time it's it really is like a positive snowball that starts happening yeah um so instagram is sort of has has been the chosen platform um for you have you and and i mean anyone that's on instagram we always see ads or affiliate links and things like mm. that so have you been able to monetize your platform on there and, and how do you feel around that so i do the occasional um paid partnership i don't i don't disagree with it in principle i think that it is you know a sort of Similarly to magazines and other places where content is, you know, free content is supported by paid advertising. Um, it's very much, um, you know, that's the convention that that happens. I think my issue is with the sort of lack of regulation. I think it needs its own regulatory body, um, and with a lack of transparency. So. Um, you know, I will only work with brands who have a genuine, uh, you know, affinity and where I think that I can work with them to make something useful for the people who follow me. Um, and, uh, you know, I will always make sure that um, everything is completely transparent, um, you know, in, in, with regard to tagging things as an ad. Um, and if anyone ever wants to ask me a question then I'll give them the answer and tell them the truth Um, and I think that's you know where we're lacking kind of regulation or proper regulation from the ASA you sort of have to make up if you're going to advertise you have to make up your own personal policy um, and stick to it and that's what I've done and you know a lot of other accounts who are advertising have done similar you know I think you have to decide what you think is fair so always want to give people the option not to engage um, with an ad I always want to um, make sure that people know exactly the nature of the partnership Um, but also you know they're very lucrative the amount of time that goes into them there's absolutely no denying that and you know I'd question anyone who said that they weren't so um for the time being 10% of all of my ad revenue is going to charity and I decide partnership by partnership Um, and it will be more hopefully up to 50% as and when that's something that I can afford Um, because it feels like the right thing to do That's really wonderful. I think, um, yeah, that's really admirable that you do that. Um, So you have said that your followers have confided in you a lot, um, especially when you first launched the account. So there's obviously, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people sort of dealing with their own situation of debt in all its intricacies do you remember having any kind of education around finance as you were growing up or to be honest, not really. I mean, I, you know, there were like a couple of conversations of, with my dad or other family members when I was really young, uh, but nothing really comprehensive and definitely nothing at school. Um, I, I think I think it might be a little bit better now but I think what's probably still lacking is like the a connection from a connection between what's going on in your bank account and what's going on in your life and that this is what I've tried to do with the account and the book is to sort of like really um talk about the fact that they're they're very much linked because I think I grew up with this sort of romantic idea that money's not everything and money can't buy you happiness but in actual fact like not not having enough money can make you really miserable or being anxious about money can make you really miserable and I think that is the kind of finance and well-being side of things I'd love to see that linked um in education and I that I mean that's definitely something I never had Mm. is it something that you're gonna um instill in your children as they grow older yeah I was just sorry my eldest is seven now and we um he wanted one of these go henry cards for his seventh birthday which is like a a child's debit card essentially Mm. and you can put money on it and then they can spend it in certain stores I had a real sort of a bit of a battle with myself about it. Like, do I want my seven-year-old son to have a bank card? Because it doesn't feel like money. He's like he doesn't understand the concept of how money gets onto it. It's just this kind of like golden ticket, but you know. Yeah. So it's something that I've children, you know, do you plan to teach your children about finances as it's been such a big part of your journey? Oh, definitely. And we our eldest is five and we talk to him a lot more um now I mean partly because he's a bit older but um about kind of the value of money and trying to sort of get him to equate the money that we earn with the amount that we work for instance you know and to explain to him how that works and I think as we as he gets older I mean as our children get older you know who knows if they'll be using cash by the time they're in their 20s um so which is really scary but i think um you know definitely i just i think at this stage just being open and talking about money and making it something that's really normal to talk about um is our aim and we haven't started giving him pocket money yet but we've when he gets money from kind of family or he's just lost his first tooth. So from the tooth fairy kind of discussed, you know, or you can either spend it on a magazine or you can save it and add it and and it will add up and you can buy something bigger that maybe you want more. Um, So we are, we're trying um, really hard to make that something that they're conscious of. And with your followers and the people that have confided in you have you noticed whether there is a bigger portion of uh female or male um oh it's um it is absolutely predominantly female i mean um the um i think it's 97 percent women and three percent men so it is I mean I don't know if it's because my account is pink <laughs> um <laughs> it's part of it but um definitely I think this is something that's really really affecting women um and it you know it, we're at we're in a sort of economic double bind um because we're paid less over the course of our lifetime but also we're sort of from a very young age we're sort of told that there's there are things wrong with us you know like we're not thin enough or our hair's not the right color and then we're just flogged solutions for that and we're marketed to relentlessly um and so and and then the third leg of that is sort of that there's this um enduring perception of you know frivolous women who spend all of their money on shoes and handbags so I think you know there's a lot of work to be done there and it's not just around the gender pay gap. Yeah, that's a really valid point. Um, did you, when you became a parent, do you have a boy or a girl? Two, I've got two, two boys. boys, yeah. yeah same. Um, did you feel that when you became a parent, did it add any sort of extra layer to that Um Either the sense of responsibility to be financially stable or financially secure. Um, well, I think um, the I, I think the fear always is about letting your children down, um, and I think that is something that's played on quite a lot by sort of. I, I've seen quite a lot of um, like adverts for debt resolution companies and some of them really play on this idea that you have to be financially solvent in order to be a decent mum uh, or a decent parent, which I think is really, it's tricky because it's something that you want to give your children. is stability and part of that is financial stability. But, um, you know, it's not... I think what I've sort of learned to accept is that it's not the be all and end all and they don't really care as long as they're sort of fed and, you know, they've got a roof over their head. Um, but you know, it's because uh, another thing is that we rent, um, our house, we, we don't own it. And, um, recently our old landlords decided to sell and our son was absolutely gutted um and you know that feeling that we it wasn't our choice and we couldn't provide the stability of the same home that he loved was really you know that was really hard but I think you know (laughs) show me a like a perfect parent because I've never <laughs> encountered one um so it's you know it's really just about doing your best and I think that's something that I've sort of come to terms with um and you know having been through all of this as well hopefully we can equip them not to not to have to go through it as well mm. I wonder how the, um, I I think, you know, our parents' generations, they bought houses very young and it was as standard that you bought at a young age and that was it. Um, We also haven't, we haven't bought, we totally missed the boat on getting an affordable house in London and we rent. Um, And our eldest son moved for the first time when he was five, I think, and he found it really odd. Um, I wonder how it's going to look for our children when they're older because of house prices versus income especially if they live in a city it doesn't really tally up and whether there'll be a change around rent prices or you know it's just it's interesting to see how that will change oh absolutely and I think it's I mean the way that it's going is completely unsustainable um stats show that. Um, a third of people who are in the private rental sector right now will never own a home and by 2022 I think that's projected to be half so it's it is I'm I'm really not sure my feeling sort of is that something has to give but I don't know when that will be (laughs) yeah or or what or what will be the thing to buckle (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah um so I saw on your Instagram the other day you posted something uh, on your stories about Klarna could you how could you explain what Klarna is um, and how you feel about providers like Klarna yeah so Klarna I actually had a call with the marketing manager of Klarna this morning um, because they responded to um, some Instagram stories and a tweet that I had done about a campaign that they had pulled out this week with ASOS but basically Klarna is a, a buy now pay later tool um, so when you get to the checkout you can split your payment into three or you can pay in 30 days or they do have some longer um some longer options as well um, but the issue is that quite often it's used almost as like a marketing tool so uh, I think it it drives people to make impulse purchases because they can spread it over three months or whatever. It's like a, it's a reason to purchase rather than a payment tool. Um, and I find that it's just so seamless. You know, part of the problem that a lot of people have with credit spending is that it separates the, the pleasure of buying from the pain of paying. And um, I think in order to have real financial control, you need to relink those. Klarna and and other things like that, you know, PayPal credit and Next and Very, they just it's one click and you're done, and you don't have to think about it until then. You know, you can't afford to make the repayment, and I I just it, you know, it's sort of it. I think it's very popular amongst young women, and we've I've already said how they're a financial disadvantage anyway. Um, and I just I find it. I find the sort of the minim the fact that they're minimizing the in the potential impact of debt quite problematic. So am I allowed to ask how the phone call went with the marketing person? Uh yeah, I mean it was okay. It was quite um it was quite productive uh, in you know, in the sense that um, I I found out a lot about how they operate. Um, and I was able to give quite a lot of feedback to them, um, both from like my perspective and from the perspective of people who'd written to me. Um, but I think there always will be like a bit of a, a line in the common ground because they are trying to get people to use their product and I am telling people to be careful about taking on extra credit. But um, you know, I was pleased that they reached out and I was pleased to be able to give the feedback to them. Um they, you know, they obviously wanted to defend their practices, um, which is absolutely understandable, but at the same time I just think it has to be clearer that it is real debt and it's a real financial commitment rather than just you know a lifestyle product which is what it's marketed as yeah yeah that's really true and it's and um, when you said about PayPal credit as well it's it's it makes me think of it's like the accessibility of having a credit card without having to go through the checks of having a credit card yeah absolutely yeah um So if we talk about what's going on at the moment, obviously we're in the middle of um, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, There's been a fair amount of support offered out by our government across Mm -hmm. certain sectors and, and then it's obviously affecting people differently what's happening. Do you have any sort of opinion on the support, the financial support that has been offered out to people either in a freelance basis perhaps even from like a landlord's point of view or a tenant point of view Mm. I think I think there are I think there are some really good parts of it um you know my my husband has been furloughed so the furlough scheme has you know really benefited us but I do find that there are a lot of holes um you know particularly for self employed people um i'm really lucky i haven't lost any work from this so far um but if i did i've been self employed for less than a year so i wouldn't be able to claim anything um apart from universal credit um which is obviously quite a complex thing in its own right um but uh yeah I, I mean and and also with regards kind of it, it home ownership it seems like homeowners are able to apply for a mortgage holiday which I know there are complicating factors in that but actually for tenants it, you're sort of reliant on how much forbearance your landlords are willing to give you in terms of if you needed to take a rent payment holiday or um you know ask for a reduction in rent um and all they've really done is extend the notice period that your landlord has to give you to evict you from two months to three so it's not much protection for tenants but you know I don't think that tenants are a priority for this government mm. necessarily. Um, so I, I think that's something that has got to change because like um, you know, like I said before, uh, a third of people here are renting and not ever going to be homeowners. Um, and as property prices get higher and higher, that's only going to get more more people and eventually you know tenants might outnumber homeowners and landlords so um you know i think i think it it feels like a lot of people are protected by it but equally a lot of people aren't um so yeah i think there's more work to be done with um you mentioned universal credit and obviously there's a lot of information coming out at the moment from the government almost like daily updates do you think that when people come into financial difficulty that there is clear information to help them i think that the information probably is there if you know where to look for it but it's co- it's complex and I think that, you know, if if people are in financial difficulty, like sort of newly just related to coronavirus, then there's an awful lot of stuff to wade through. Um, but what I would say to anybody is to, you know, my go-to's on stuff like this would be um, Step Change, which is um, a debt charity or Christians Against Poverty or citizens advice um, rather than maybe going to dot gov.uk because the the information that the organisations I mentioned have um is much more specific and probably a bit more tailored to people in that situation rather than just being a huge information overload. Mm. Um but I think I think it's one of a few barriers to getting the help that you need. Um, You know, I think that one of them is it can be a bit opaque sometimes and the other one is, you know, you have to be at a point where you're willing to admit that you need some help. Yeah, and that's often like the biggest obstacle, I think, is admitting like, oh, actually, Mm -hmm. yeah, I need to address this. And why... Do you do you think uh, money or the concept of money holds so much power? It's such a powerful thing, and it's as you said, it's it's kind of interlaced with feelings of guilt, um, shame, judgment. Even on the other side of it, sort of being boastful and greedy. Hmm. Do you have any kind of thoughts around that? I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure really. I think that obviously historically money has been an indication of status and that probably families with money didn't ever need to talk about money. So if you I think possibly that's where that barrier to talking about it has come from because you know, if you've got enough of it, you don't ever need to discuss it. Um but I also think it's sort of used as a control as a tool of control, isn't it? You know, if you pay somebody's wages, you have a degree of control over them. If you if you're the only earning if you're the only um partner in your family who's earning money, you have a degree of control. Um and I think, you know unfortunately it sort of is a source of power um in you know our society and I don't really know what the solution to that is (laughs) I wonder if it's I'm just thinking as you're talking it's almost not the money but it's the way in which it's used so that you know the the way that we're advertised at especially as women that you need x y and z in order to be desirable or successful so it's not necessarily the physical money it's the it's what it can get you yeah oh absolutely and that's that's where all the you know that's where feelings of shame or inadequacy or Mm. that that comes in yeah I think it's also about time isn't it the time that having money can buy you you know I have been really lucky in that I have been able to write a book from a position of financial insecurity almost nobody gets that opportunity because you know often for some for often for people to get a book deal they they have to write for years and years and you know if you're having to work 12 hour days to feed your family where do you get the time to write just as an example um but I think it's yeah it is it's very it's very difficult to see how how it would change sort of in the near future but who knows I mean there's going to be an awful lot of upheaval from coronavirus and I think the world's going to be very different after this and who knows in what way but obviously the way that things were before was not working for an awful lot of people so absolutely and so your book you said came out comes out on May the 14th Yes, that's right. And is it called My Frugal Year? No, it's called Real Life Money. Um, okay. and it is a sort of a a part memoir, part guide. So a lot of it comes from my own experience, but also hopefully it should be a source of sort of practical help for anyone either struggling with debt or struggling to save or just feeling really anxious about their finances great and um if you could give our listeners three pieces of advice what would they be <laughs> so the first piece of advice and this is paramount is like very comes very early on in the book before anything any of the other content really is um, to change your language around money and debt. So s- stop saying "I'm in debt" or t- stop talking about being in debt. Talk about having debt, because it doesn't. If if you say that you have debt, it doesn't absolve you of the responsibility. It's still yours to sort out. Um, but it it removes that the verb to be which I think, you know, so much of getting rid of the shame and starting to practically sort things out is separating the situation, um, from your identity. You know, it's not part of your, it's not part of who you are. It's not part of your DNA. It's just a challenge that you have to overcome in your life. Um, so that little change of language has mm. really helped me it's helped me to be more open about it it's helped me to have those conversations with my bank it's also just made me feel an awful lot better um, and be happier um, essentially so that's definitely my like number one tip um, my second is to arm yourself with all of the facts so if you don't know what's going on in your bank account or on your credit cards, then there's there's it, it's always going to have that hold over you. It's always going to be sort of the monster lurking under the bed. But once you find all of that information out, it, it can't really hurt you anymore. Um, you know, it, it might still worry you, but you don't have that constant threat like the sort of anxiety of accidentally glimpsing your bank balance Um, so that's definitely number two and number three would be that um, it it's really good even if you're doing okay and you don't need to be focused on paying off debt it's really good for everybody to have a budget because it's not it isn't about deprivation it's just about knowing what's coming in and what's going out um, it doesn't have to be something that you obsessively, you know, tinker with day after day. It can just be something that you sit down with, like, a cup of tea on, or a glass of wine on a Sunday night mm-hmm. and just go through, you know, for half an hour, make sure you know what's coming in, what's going out. And then you can sort of forget about it and try and have, like, a bit more of a neutral relationship with money. Um, and I think that's probably what. I'm aiming for and what I think people should be aiming for is sort of a level of money neutrality and um, you know so that it's just a tool that you use to build a good life for yourself yeah thank you so much for finding the time to talk to me it's been really really great oh, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> it's been great